Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. You know what's great about being a backseat driver? You're not responsible for the driver's poor decisions. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, 190 hours away from being a licensed marriage and family therapist, your mechanic. And at the wheel, taking full responsibility for your actions is you, our loyal listener. Today's quote of the day comes from Alan Watts. To Taoism, that which is absolutely still or absolutely perfect is absolutely dead. For without the possibility of growth and change, there can be no Tao. In reality, there is nothing in the universe which is completely perfect or completely still. It is only in the minds of men that such concepts exist. Last week, we talked about self-care and building a routine to keep your body and mind healthy. This week, we're getting a little existential and talking about our relationship with ourselves. So first, what does having a healthy relationship with yourself look like? It looks like looking in the mirror, because that's you. (laughs) A healthy relationship with yourself is really based on how are you talking to yourself? How do you show up to yourself every day? Do you wake up and say, you know, ah, today's going to be a crap day. It's going to rain. Work is exhausting. Everything sucks. And that's the way you're interacting with the world. That's the way you're interacting with yourself. Or are you waking up and saying today's going to be a challenging day, but you know what? I'm capable of doing this. I can and will survive this day. This is all parts of the internal narrative, your self-talk that you have. As you grow up, you get input from others on how you speak to yourself. It's really easy to talk about self-talk through image and body image. So people who struggle with their body image might have stronger negative self-talk around feeling like they're ugly, feeling like they're too fat, too thin, their hair's the wrong way or any number of negative descriptions of their own body. You can challenge that. It doesn't have to be a negative experience. I have kind of an ongoing skin rash on my right arm, and I don't say that this is an ugly arm. It's just my right arm. I don't personally like it. I don't have a pretty view of it, but I don't let it shape my narrative of myself. Now, it's taken me a hot minute to figure out how to do that. And I will say, Dr. Azevedo has yelled at me many times. And by yelled, I mean said Kimberly, but you know. (laughs) Kimberly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've been working on it. And it's an ongoing process of learning how to love yourself and the body that you're in. Within this, you have to understand the role of self-compassion, of believing that you are worthy of compassion and grace just as you give compassion and grace to other people. An example with this, one of my favorite examples when I'm trying to explain this to other people is you're driving down the road and 
you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off, you immediately go into, what a jerk. How could you cut me off? This is the worst. You're ruining my day. You know, what a rude move. And when you're in traffic and you have to cut someone off, you're like, well, I'm in a rush. You know, I got to get where I'm going. I'm sorry. I didn't. It, it is what it is. But like, I got to get going. That's a level of self-compassion. You're giving yourself grace for the action you engaged in. Does that make it right? I mean, depends on how close the, the cutoff in traffic was. But understanding that there are experiences you go through that shape you and that might be good or bad. And they're all okay. At the end of the day, they are creating the you that you are. Sure. And, you know, with this positive and negative self-talk, it's important to recognize that we are constantly listening to a, a, a dialogue in our head, often between the person who's attempting to do something and the critic of whatever is being attempted. Though I recently learned not everyone has an internal dialogue, which is really trippy. So to those who don't have this, sorry. Can you have an internal dialogue some of the time and not all of the time? Yes. And it can be louder at times and softer at times. I would love to talk to someone, if there's anyone in our audience who has no internal dialogue, I would love to talk to them to see what that experience is like. And that's one of the things. This internal dialogue often comes out in small, subtle, behavioral deals. And it's okay. Even sometimes when you're negative with yourself, that can be okay if it spurs new behavior. Like, I really don't want to cut people off because I hate it when I get cut off. I need to start working at getting out earlier so I don't have to rush to get to work or to get wherever I'm going. So it's not that it's always terrible. It only becomes terrible when it starts to prevent you from doing the things you want to do in your life. From setting goals or aspirations and just accepting what you have. Or if it leads you to unhealthy life choices. Yes, those two. And self-compassion, one more note on self-compassion. Often we are much easier giving compassion to others, letting them off the hook when they've done something particularly bad to us, but we don't let ourselves off the hook when we do something. Yeah, um, I was going to make that point, but I also think Kim's example is a good exception to that. When you're in a car, it's entirely reversed. No one gives any compassion to anybody else, and everybody is super forgiving of their own issues and mistakes. Right, and which I, is why I think it's that's a really highlight. interesting. <laughs> sure. This is uh, how just, you do self-compassion. Always act like you're in a car. <laughs> well, except that you don't want to do self-compassion for things that you know are harming other people. Fair. We don't want that world either. The car example lacks a certain amount of accountability. You're being compassionate to yourself, but you're not holding yourself accountable for those driving actions that you took. So how do you hold yourself accountable while also being compassionate with yourself? It seems like those things would be at odds. One of the things is being honest with yourself. What is my behavior and what effect am I having on other folks? The more honest you can be with yourself, the more likely you are to be accountable and to change your behavior into ways that are much more positive that you can be happy with. It also makes it easier to take feedback from others about an effect that you had on them that you did not intend. So most people go around the world and they want to be judged based on their intentions, but they judge others based on the effect that those others have on them. And that's a dishonesty. Our intentions really don't matter. What really matters is the effect that we have on other people around us. 
And you have to be honest with yourself to see that effect. And that means accepting mistakes. None of us are perfect. All of us, though, make mistakes, particularly if you are pushing the edge and learning new things. When you try new things, likely you don't get them right the first time. So accepting the fact that mistakes are part of the process and they are information that help you make changes and improve iteration over iteration, that becomes a much healthier place. To do that, you have to be honest with yourself. But what if I feel like everything I do is a mistake? Then that's back to the negative self-talk because the probability is that's not true. But what if nothing has gotten me to the spot that I want to be? So everything is therefore failing. Well, so we would have to define what the spot is and what you mean by everything. My because that life. would suggest that would suggest that there is a unidimensional aspect to your life. And I know for a fact that there's not. It's multidimensional. And we can be successful on some things and not successful in others. And that's okay. And we can be successful at things and then not always get it right. That's accepting mistakes. The other part though is particularly in our current culture here in the United States in 2020, we are much more likely to accept our mistakes or to even claim a mistake when we didn't make a mistake rather than celebrating our success. And celebrating our success, celebrating our strengths is where growth really comes from. You don't grow really from focusing on your mistakes. Your mistakes can inform you, but you grow from celebrating your success your effort, your energy, those kinds of things. For some people, I just blew your mind. It is hard to celebrate your successes because we currently live in America in 2020 in a culture that most of society condemns bragging about yourself or you know, saying, hey, I've done this really cool thing. So it's really hard for many of us to celebrate those successes because it feels wrong. It feels like we're bragging and we don't have a right to do that. So let's differentiate confidence from bragging. Confidence is reporting accurately your skill set and your ability level and then delivering at that. That's confidence. Bragging is suggesting I can do a thing but not being able to do it. Yes. So I understand that differentiation. What I'm saying that I've noticed for myself and several of my cohort, so I don't know if this is true for Ben's age range, but for me and the group of people that I've gone to school with, even being confident is challenging. For me, when I'm saying like, I have a master's degree or, you know, I am skilled in this, it still feels like a level of bragging. And that's a societal narrative. That's something that I have heard on and off in public discourse of, you shouldn't say those things. It's intimidating. You should just quietly hold that you have this. So here's the challenge, right? That prevents you from being who you are. Well, yes, of course. So are we saying that 2020... United States culture is good at accepting its and claiming its mistakes. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> no. Because I disagree with that. And I also don't feel like they're in my world, whatever that is, I don't feel like there's a lot of condemning of celebrating achievements either. I actually don't, I'm having trouble 
agreeing with either of you about like anything you just said. So the so, except, oh, sorry. If you look at society and a large group, you're right. But if you look at individuals, shame-based behavior is huge in the United States. And shame comes from this sense of, I'm always making mistakes. I'm never good enough. Uh, no matter what I do, I can't get what I want. So accepting mistakes does not mean being okay with like, oops, I messed up. It's like, I've made a mistake and I'm now the worst person ever. Accepting that, hey, I made a mistake, but then also taking it incredibly personally. Again, that's why I said, I don't know if it's the same for you, Ben. But when I was in school and even now, it's really hard for people of my cohort, right? So the school people that I was with to be confident in saying, I'm in a master's program or I have a certification in this or check out this cool thing I did. It's much more like, oh, hey, you know, I, I did a thing. And that's the challenge, right? It's okay to say, hey, I'm enrolled in a master's degree program. I'm working at this. I'm doing this. That's not arrogance or putting anyone down. It's simply accurately reporting what you're doing. That's a big thing. So a lot of folks don't differentiate between bragging and confidence or stating a truth and arrogance. To be arrogant, you have to say, I am this and you are not. I am better than you and I put you down. That's what arrogance is. To accurately report, I mean, the reality is I have a PhD. That doesn't harm anyone else. It just simply is. I went through, worked through the hoops, got the degree. There it is. It's not something anybody could do, but it is something many people can do. I will never be in the NBA. That's something some people can do. It's not something a short <laughs> Hispanic can do. <laughs> Though your cardio skills have gotten a lot better over the years. That's true, but this Latino cannot jump. <laughs> Does that make better sense, Ben? Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, I definitely understand all of it. It's, I think it's somewhat just perception and... I don't know. Celebrate your successes, guys. Sure. So, if, I mean, if we take this a little bit farther into a, a larger societal thing, America is so afraid right now, we can't accept that we've made mistakes. We can't accept that we have made bad choices. And so we make even worse choices to try and cover it up. And, and that doesn't work either. Bottom line, you have to be willing to experience the fear when trying new things, to know that when you try new things, you're not going to get it right at first and you'll get better and better. And that's the way it is. And then to be as happy as a kid who just learned how to ride their two-wheel bicycle without their training wheels and celebrate that success like no one's business. That's exactly right. I saw a kid in the park a few months ago riding the tiniest bike. Normally, I would expect to see a bike this small with training wheels. And it did not have training wheels. And this kid was tiny. This is the smallest child I have ever seen riding a bike without training wheels, like full on pedaling, not, not doing the little scooter thing. And in the park near our house, there's some like dirt mounds that are for mountain biking. This kid was going over the jumps on this tiny, tiny bike. I have no idea how old the kid was, but they were very small. I was very impressed. Just a little tangent. Nice. I'm celebrating that child's success. Yeah, I was going to say, you, go. you can also celebrate other people's success, but it is important to celebrate your own. We've talked so, about healthy relationship with ourselves. We've talked about kind of the present, holding ourselves accountable, being honest with ourselves, acknowledging mistakes and successes. What about 
our past self and our future self? You know, how do we have a relationship with who we once were and who we want to be in the future? My thoughts are still stewing. I, we can let them stew. I always have thoughts. I always have stew. <laughs> <laughs> Honoring our past, understanding it, and, and cultivating hope for the future has to do with forgiving ourselves for things we've done badly in the past. So many people do something they no longer like about whatever their history was. I disrespected a girl when I was dating her and we broke up and you know now I know that I was really a jerk. Some people hold on to that and consider themselves jerks for the rest of their life because they were that way in the past instead of learning from it and changing that behavior and not doing it into the future. This idea that we base our identity only on what's happened in the past is another way of being dead. So remember the quote at the beginning? The past is still. It will always be exactly what it was. It can't change. What can change is what we do with that information. And that's what creates hope for the future. If I make a mistake, if I make a bad choice, and Lord knows I've made bad choices in business that's cost money, that's cost you know, being able to employ other people, lots of different things. I've made mistakes. It's not you know, all rosy going in one direction. But if I define myself just on those mistakes, it would be difficult to take the next step. If I learn from those mistakes and apply them, I have hope for the future. Hopefully I won't make that mistake, but I might, I'll make some other mistake into the future. I just try not to repeat mine. That's part of experiencing the fear of trying new things too. And yes, even if you're not learning from the specific mistake, which you should, experiencing mistakes helps you overcome some of that fear to continue moving forward. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about Wabi Sabi, Kim? Yes, I was getting there. One of the certifications I have is in expressive arts therapy. And through that, I learned of a term called Wabi Sabi, which is the Japanese art of imperfections and also really fun to say. You know, if you Google this, mostly what you're going to see is teacups or plates that have been shattered and then sealed with gold. So the idea of this is something has broken and has had an experience, a mistake, we can call it. And then someone has taken it and put it back together and sealed it with new things, with this gold. And the gold is used, you know, for the obvious symbolic purposes of gold. And it creates a new thing, right? So it creates this new piece of art that is beautiful and powerful and reminds you of the events of the past, the broken experience, the mistake, and also that things can be healed and put back together and created whole and new again. That's kind of the Cliff Notes version of the entire book that I read on Wabi Sabi. Super fun. I think that's a really beautiful way of choosing to look at life and your relationship with yourself. Because, I mean, as Don said, our mistakes do shape us and they won't change. And you choose how you're going to interact with them in the future. Are you going to seal yourself together with gold and continue to shine? Or are you going to remain shattered in place, stuck in the past? I always think of this and it's like, I cheated on a test in fourth grade. I remember this. I remember erasing the answers and panicking and crying when mama found me. It was, <laughs> it was a very traumatizing experience for me. And I've learned and I've grown. 
And it's become a humorous experience for me of like, oh, yeah, I cheated on a test in fourth grade. And every once in a while, I still have a nightmare about it. But that experience does not negate the rest of my experiences in education. It shaped my experiences in education. It made me more mindful of how much I study and how I feel about my grades. But it did not negate the fact that I have gone on to get a master's degree. That's there you go. my way of sealing my education back with gold. There you go. That's part of understanding the process of iterations. That if I didn't get it right, I can try again and get it better and improve each time that I do something. Just don't cheat on your fourth grade exams. <laughs> That's a good life lesson. Only fourth grade. You can cheat the rest of the grades. That's fine. Fourth grade is just really important. <laughs> I just was thinking about iterations and goal setting and that if you have that a feeling that nothing you're doing is working, maybe it means that you haven't found the right set of iterations or the correct goal. And I think that sometimes in our culture, there's a fear of quitting a thing or giving up on a thing. And, you know, to some extent, this is a double-edged sword. If, you know, you don't want to give up on things too easily. But if you're in a place where your relationship with yourself is such that you feel that everything you do is a failure, it might be time to reevaluate what it is you're doing and why and set some different goals and move in a different direction. And that's all part of the process of iteration and learning from mistakes and accepting those mistakes and everything we've just talked about. So I, it made me think of and that. And choosing to love yourself. Yeah. Choosing to love yourself through this process and understanding that, sure, you had an original idea of who you were going to be, and that may not be who you are growing to be. You got to uh, compromise even with yourself. Whoa. Sure. sure. And accept your own strengths. I mean, I also look at this as far as I originally went to undergrad for marine science. And now here I am in psychology and therapy, right? I, I had the idea, I had the passion, and I still have the passion. I will tell you all of the facts about sharks. So I started out on one path and then at some point had to reconcile with the fact that that's not the path that I need to go down. And it's learning from, I, I still don't call that a mistake. That was just a learning experience that for me, psychology and therapy was a higher calling than marine science. Well, you know, I started out studying aerospace engineering. See, that was a mistake. Studying <laughs> aerospace engineering or leaving it? <laughs> Starting. I loved it. It was great. But I, I fell in love with the complexity of human beings and human development. And, you know, it caught my heart as well as my mind. One of the cool things I get to do is I work with a lot of people who have gotten professional degrees, are doing something that they thought they wanted to do, like accounting or being an attorney, occasionally being a physician. But they discover when they actually start to practice that they don't like it. They don't want to do this anymore. That's a bummer. It is a bummer in one way, but in another way, the fact that they're admitting they're struggling and that this is no longer life potentiating for them and it is life draining for them. And helping those people make a new choice without the guilt or anger or self-judgment that I spent all this money and all this time to get this degree and now I don't want to use it. 
you haven't lost anything. You've learned stuff that's now part of who you are. You just don't want to participate in that profession anymore. And that's honorable because you want to do things in your life that are life affirming, that lift you up. And if you're in a job that doesn't work for you, plan a way out of it. You know, plan a way towards something that lifts you up. You only get this life once. There is no chance to do this badly to yourself. You know, maybe there is, you know, the karmic wheel and we come back and that kind of stuff, but we don't know it when we come back. So <laughs> this is the life we got. Admitting to yourself that you're struggling is a key piece. And then also letting people close to you know that you're struggling is wonderful. The next thing is to really look at what are your emotions and thoughts and which ones are helpful to you and which ones are preventing you from achieving the outcome that you want. And maybe even learning some techniques for managing intense emotions. To recap, we covered what a healthy relationship with yourself looks like, how to hold yourself accountable, both in celebrating your own successes and admitting your mistakes and failures, and ways to be mindful of who you were and who you're becoming. We also talked about how to accept when your initial plan isn't working and you need to make a new plan. Thanks for listening, and if you liked this episode, give us a rating on iTunes. If public displays of affection aren't your thing, shoot us an email at questions at afpsych.com. We'll see you next time, and until then, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.